Hey, welcome to Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter. I'm Kevin. And we're recording. We are. <laughs> it's fun when technology doesn't work and then all of a sudden it works and we're actually recording and didn't even know it. And people are listening. Yeah, yeah there's, well, we think they are. Based on email questions, at least a few people are listening. So, if you want to support what we do here at Crucial Conversations, crucialproductions.org slash give is the website to go to. Kevin loves this. This Every time I do this, it puts him to sleep. So, we're, we're going to do this quickly. When you, when you support that, you're supporting the podcast, you're supporting Anchored in Christ, you're supporting the Bible in Five, and anything else that, that comes up in the future. But, don't do any of those things. Uh, support any of those things unless you're first supporting your own local church because that is where the ministry actually happens that's where god's word is proclaimed and where it goes out and today we are talking about god's word specifically what is it how do we know the bible is god's word Uh, which of course this fits in very well with the whole church thing on on sundays it's a very important aspect of your time at church Kevin's pointing to a CD in his Bible, and I have a Bible on my phone, which is weird. So this whole thing of God's Word and what is God's Word and what isn't could take on an entirely different dimension. But we're not actually talking about the medium, whether it's in a book, whether it's digital on a phone in with zeros and ones. We're talking about God's Word itself. How do we know that what we have in the Bible is God's Word? That's our bigger overarching question that we're dealing with we're gonna we're gonna kind of get there in several various ways one is because um i don't remember how i found this article on the internet on facebook i'm putting kevin to sleep again this is fun twice and in the first two minutes of the episode i've put kevin to sleep this is awesome but this article is is very interesting um, of course, very inflammatory because clickbaity articles always have to be inflammatory. But it starts off with, sorry, Christians, our Bible contains fake letters from Paul and Peter. So the Bible we have, the 66 books of the Bible, 27 of them in the New Testament, uh, a lot of them are fake. They're not actually real. That's what this article is claiming. And so I don't, I don't know about you, Kevin. Uh, actually, I think I do know about you as a biblical scholar with a PhD in New Testament. You've probably come across this sort of thinking frequently. I come across it on the internet because I spend a lot of time there. So I get the popularized versions of this. You get the actual academic versions of this because you try to avoid the internet. So you're probably smarter than I am in that sense. <laughs> um, but we're okay. How do we even start to, to answer this, this question? Because there's kind of two different things going on here. We've got the question of canon, maybe, which canon is the books that are in the Bible that make up this whole thing. But we've also got the question of authority and inspiration and how do we know this actually came from God to us and is his revelation of himself to us. And I, and I want to make sure that we're actually careful about differentiating those two different questions because too many times when I've, when I've asked this question, I've heard this question being asked, how do we know the Bible is God's word? The answers I get are actually ones of canon. Like, well, here's how these books got there. And here's, here's how we decided they're in the Bible. I'm like, well, okay, that's how we know how we got these. But how does that tell us if they're actually God's word? 
where do you want to start with this? I'm going to throw this to you. I have no idea what we're doing. Because, <laughs> <'Cause> um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, which so, is the best way to start a podcast because we don't even know where we're going. We have with no this. idea what's going on. Yeah. Uh, so I, you're going to get to work through it with us. Listen to us work through it here. I think the first thing that I would I would bring up is that there are so many presuppositions in the title of the article and the fact that he's trying to get his click on the article by what he's saying mm-hmm. that we are so far down the road into Bible, word of God, collection of books, decisions made by humans, decisions not made by, I mean, there's so many things to talk about that I don't even know where to begin <laughs> with this. I mean, first of all, your presuppositions are showing. Yes. I mean, this is, and this is something that I really is, it's very important to us for discuss this because yeah. All of these discussions about the Bible really end up being a discussion of presuppositions. And presuppositions really is a really long, wordy word that really just talks about what things am I thinking before I begin thinking about this topic. Mm-hmm. So when I say, like, what, what does the, the, the article say? Your Bible contains Sorry, Christian, letters. Contains fake letters. Fake letters. Yep. So... So there's a lot of presuppositions that go into that. One of the cool presuppositions is that an authentic letter of Paul would be good. Yeah, that's a good one. That's quite an assumption. That we actually want so, an authentic letter from Paul. We want Paul to be writing authentic letters. This is this is quite an assumption, which, believe it or not, is actually almost antithetical to the entire point of his post. <laughs> and... This is something that that we we kind of skip sometimes. By the way, we will share the link to this article in the show sure, notes. Sure, and you're welcome to so, read yeah, it. Yeah, just, just so you know what we're talking about. Just just a, a warning. He's entirely wrong. <laughs> not not partially, entirely wrong. Right. In, in almost every single argument, it's no, sorry, wrong. Um, but but think this through for a second. Who cares if Paul wrote a letter or not? Why would I care? Why does that matter? Why does it matter if Peter wrote First and Second Peter or not? What are we doing? Mm-hmm. See, right away, we learn that the church treasures the writings of certain individuals. And this is an important thing when you talk about canon, is that these are not books written by whomever, and we just kind of go, well, I really like this one. Yeah. No, the... One of the presuppositions of the canon is authorship, especially when it comes to the New Testament books. It's only certain people are actually qualified to write these books right. in the first place. And or or to instruct people to write books. Yeah. So, you know, right away when he says, Well, your Bible contains letters that aren't written by Paul, it's like, well, who cares? I mean, why does that matter so much? Mm-hmm. And why it matters is because Paul and Peter are what we call apostles, right? Right. And so the writers of the New Testament books are what we refer to as apostles and evangelists. Mm-hmm. Okay? So so let's make sure we understand what those words mean. Apostles means that these are the guys that Jesus himself selected to teach the church. They were sent by Jesus to teach the church everything that Jesus taught them. You can look at Matthew 28, right? By, mm-hmm. by teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, yep. right? So so this is part of the thing. In John 20, they're sent. Now, and Paul obviously wasn't part of the original 12, 
But in the book of Acts, we learn that he is now included. You can look at chapter 9 for this. Yep. Where then he is included into the call of this apostolic band that goes forth with the gospel. And this, obviously, is the rest of the book of Acts, right? Yeah, and, and in an extremely dramatic fashion, he's given right. his call. Yeah, very. <laughs> and then, and then let's be totally honest, there are other apostles that float around. So it's not just the original 12. Barnabas is sometimes called an apostle. There might be other guys. Does Silas but, ever get called an apostle? Well, or is he just a missionary? It kind of depends on how you read it. Okay. So if he's included in the I only asked because letters, I named my son Silas, yeah. and so he needs to know, you know what's he, his legacy. <laughs> yeah. Now, he's an apostle, but he might not be a capital A apostle. Okay. And that actually is an issue, is that there are kind of capital A apostles running around, and that would be Paul and the other 11, pretty mm-hmm. much, and maybe Matthias if you throw him in there, right? Right. And then there are kind of lower A apostles, like Barnabas and other guys that are running around. Um, but the point is that the church has always treasured the teaching of the apostles mm-hmm. above all other teaching. And when those apostles wrote that teaching down, that is what makes up our New Testament. Okay, now why were they treasured above all others? Because they were sent by Jesus himself to teach the church. Okay. So if you want to learn about we Jesus... We covered that. I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. You want to learn from the guys that Jesus himself sent to teach you. Yeah. Okay. Now, let's be clear. Jesus himself did not write any books down that we know of. Right. The only writing we have of Jesus in the entire Bible is in John. Of course, it's in John. And John 8. <laughs> right, John 7 and 8, where he, he writes in the ground, right, during the the affair. The, the affair. That's the wrong <laughs> word to use, right? <laughs> the adulterous woman the caught adulterous woman in adultery. Caught, right. Yeah. That, that whole issue, which has a textual critical issue, of course, and all yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah, we but that's the only that writing later. of Jesus we have, and we don't have that preserved for us. So, and we don't even know what he wrote. Yeah, we don't just, know what he wrote. Yeah. So when you're looking at written scriptures, what we have, though, are writings from those people that Jesus gave to the church to teach. Those mm-hmm. are the apostles. Now, the reason we include evangelists is because two of the Gospels, Mark and Luke, the two middle ones, were not written by apostles. Right. They are written by evangelists, and evangelists is a, the fancy term of saying gospel writing guy. Yeah. Right? Yep. But both of those letters were written, as the church has always viewed them, under the authority of an apostle. So Mark wrote under Peter, and Luke wrote under Paul. Right. Okay? So that's the way the church has, has historically viewed those documents as still being apostolic. Yep. Okay. So that's why it matters whether these letters in the New Testament or these books in the New Testament were apostolic or not, okay, if they were actually written by an apostle. Right. Now, we do have some exceptions to the rule, right? We have Jude and James, neither of whom were apostles. Right. But they were both brothers of the Lord. Okay? Or they were somehow associated that way. Yeah. So they kind of get into the canon because of their affiliation with Jesus also, yep. and because of their, their prominence in the early church. Okay? But let's be honest. We're going to be very honest on this show. Those <laughs> we books u- we have, usually are. We always are. We, that's our goal is to be as, as yep. honest as we can be. Yeah. So, so those books have never been held on the same level as the apostolic writings. Right. Right? Yeah. I mean, Jude and James have never had the prominence of the canon like... Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, or Paul's letters, or even First Peter or First John. Yeah, you, just you look throughout church history, and there's always questions: What does this mean? What do we do with this? Right. How does this fit? 
And the the famous Luther calling right. James an epistle of straw. I mean, that's a good example from yeah. our own tradition yeah. of, I don't know what to do with this. There's something different here. And it's not apostolic, so I'm not bound to think of it the same way I do as the apostolic writings. Yeah. Okay? So so that's where, and you might hear some people use the word antilegomena. Yes. Which is a long word saying somebody in the history of the church said, I don't know if this is scripture or not. Right. That's all that word means. Homo legumina means everybody goes, that's scripture. Yeah. And when we say somebody, we don't just mean some random person off on the side. We mean no. in a church council or a gathering of churches or a region of Christianity, they didn't have that book. They weren't using it. They weren't, maybe they didn't even have it. And that's a lot of it comes a from. A lot of it okay, is. We didn't have that letter. Use. Yeah. We've, we've been studying the Bible for 50 years. That wasn't part of our Bible. Yep. You know, it wasn't one of the letters we had. So that's that comes into it. Um, so we want to make clear that it's not just some random blogger on the internet. No, 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 Just asserting, well... <laughs> that's a good point. I don't believe that's 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 this. Therefore, it can be antilegomena. It's like, right. ah, no. that's not, that's not no, how you this get is, that. No, <laughs> this is someone the church holds as a teacher of the church who has officially said, I'm not as convinced that James is scripture like I am John. And this is an earlier church history, too. Early, so early, we're, early. This, we're actually referencing things that happened in the first couple hundred years yep. after the death of Christ. So exactly. that's when these designations occurred, not now. So then, so then what happens is the books that we have, we know exactly which books the, the church said, yep, that's scripture, and which books they went, eh, I think it's scripture, but I'm not totally sure. Right. Okay, so so this is not something that's questioned. It's not something like in the 1800s, someone went, "Hey guys, maybe we should question these books." It's not what the Da Vinci Code told me. Right. So <laughs> so that's that's one of the reasons this article that we're referencing is really wrong. Is it? It's kind of not taking seriously the act, the actual taking serious the actual history of the church. Yeah, that we actually have letters and documents and texts from the entire history of the church that we can track. Okay, here's where the questions were asked. Right. Here's where everybody was in agreement. And we've got, not like meeting minutes, but essentially meeting minutes yeah. from these councils we and these gatherings and... that happened. And and they fought is. about these things. I mean, they, yeah. they literally fought about these <laughs> things, which is great because we have their fightings, right? Yeah. We have them calling each other names and you, saying, You've got the arguments on both sides of yeah. why it is or why it isn't. Exactly. And and when this article, and, and the reason we're bringing this up is because other articles do the same thing, right? Yeah, this, when they this quote is kind of standing in for other articles. It's not that this yeah. one is special in right. some way. Matter of fact, it's, it's kind of pedantic. Yeah. <laughs> but when they quote a church father, oh, well, Marcion didn't include the books. That's one of his big arguments. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, let's let's be clear. The entire church called Marcion a heretic. Right. So now you're going to run to somebody who was excluded from the teachings of the church to establish books of Scripture, Yeah. which one of the reasons he excluded them was because of his heretical views of the God of the Old Testament. <laughs> Marcion did not believe the God of the Old Testament was God. Oh, yeah. So when we've so, talked, I think it was a two episodes ago, we talked about the angry God of yeah. the Old Testament. That That's kind of a version that's of Marcion. Marcionism. Yeah. yeah. And so Marcion went through and got rid of any book that liked the God of the Old Testament. That's weird. So we're really not going to go with him <laughs> to determine New Testament canon, since the correct writers in the New Testament canon, the apostles, quoted the Old Testament as authoritative scripture. He'd have to get rid of most of Paul, wouldn't he? 
Yes. Because Paul quoted the Old Testament and all the time. he had to get rid of the Gospels. Oh, yeah, because Jesus quoted the Old Testament. Exactly. So what he produced was a Gospel that was a truncated version of the Gospels, and he also produced books of Paul that were truncated versions of Paul with the Old Testament references expunged. Which this is actually relevant to our conversation because going through this article or anybody who writes this kind of article, that's also what they do. Yes. But that's what you end up with, a severely truncated version based on, we haven't even, I mean, this is where we're going. I'm kind of giving away the lead here a little bit, but based on their own presuppositions that they're bringing to the material of, well, it can't be that way. Right. Therefore, I've got to get rid of this. Yeah. So, so let's go ahead and talk about some things. Um, just these are these are generic. Now, some of this is in the article we're referring to, but some of it isn't. Um, but these are things that you will find frequently in these kinds of discussions. People say, "Well, Paul could not have written this letter because of X, Y, and Z." Right. What you need to be aware of is that those statements, Paul could not have written this, or Peter could not have written this because of X, Y, and Z. Usually, those reasons x y and z are because of a presupposition of how religion or scholarship or writing or learning has to work Hmm. so one of the major presuppositions of scholarship to examine the early church is to say that theology has to develop over time so that the early 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 christians did not believe that jesus was god but that's a theology that developed over time because it's a very sophisticated yeah. view, right? We see so it the appearing early 200 version. years later. Exactly. Yeah, the church is so, suddenly... So if the presupposition is no one believed Jesus was God until the 300s, mm-hmm. and then you find a biblical text in which it says Jesus is God, you simply say, see, that's evidence that that text could not have been written early. Yeah. You've, you've put now, the cart before, before the horse. Just think that through for a second. Yeah. <laughs> so... Where exactly are you looking for evidence of what the early church believed? I mean, here are documents that everyone agrees has provenance in the first century, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone yeah. says, yeah, these are early, 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 early documents. And so you're reading them saying, that isn't evidence what the early church believed. I'm going to use my presuppositions for the development of religion to say what they should have believed. <laughs> and therefore, the documents that claim to be early can't be early because they don't meet, match my presuppositions of what they should have said. Right. Well, that's literally what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> and so one of the arguments is, um, in First Peter, we have a very developed sense of Greek rhetorical argument. Peter was a stupid fisherman. Therefore, he could not have known that kind of rhetoric. Right. Well, that is just not even an intelligent argument. <laughs> Do you know anybody that has an occupation that is smart? Have you ever met anybody Any who, blue- who works with their hands and is intelligent? Yeah. The, I mean... The, the blue-collar worker who reads Kant in the evenings. Can, I mean, this is this is just not even an intelligent argument. Right. To say that because <laughs> I fish for a living, I can't know Greek rhetoric. This is or not it assumes only, that he can't learn it, can't right. have learned it at any point. Plus, this after is a guy who in 30 AD is is now told to go teach the church, becomes a leader of a church, which is growing by thousands every day. Mm-hmm. He lives in a Hellenistic culture in which Greek rhetoric was being taught every day on the street corners. Right. And I'm supposed to presuppose that he never learned anything in 30 <laughs> years 
from the time Jesus died and rose, let's say it's 30 AD, until he dies in 65. So if he writes First Peter near the, near the end of his life, which it seems he does, yeah. So then I'm supposed to presuppose that that him taking seriously his charge to be the leader of the church to teach those which he believes is matter in life and death, that he's not going to learn one technique of how to actually write and argue. Does that make any sense to anybody? It, you have to completely ignore human nature. Right. Even, even our own, I mean, it, okay, uh, I'm going to say concupiscence here because right. it, it actually helps where your own pride wouldn't allow you right. to just be stupid. I'm not going to just be an <laughs> idiot. And and Peter, of all people, look at the history of Peter and the He was guy who was always seeking something, right? I got to go, I'm going to go jump in and figure it right. out. Yep. So, of all people, Peter probably did learn Greek rhetoric. <laughs> and if he's writing a letter to the church to convince them of amazing truths, like we have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, 1 Peter 1 3. Mm hmm. He might also employ somebody to help him. Right. Scribe, amnuensis. He also argued with Paul, who was an expert at Greek rhetoric and that kind of stuff. Maybe, I don't know, could Paul have taught him anything? And that's in any of those conversations that they had and arguments? And we're supposed to now believe that the, the entire early Christian church ignored all of society for 30 years and never learned a thing. Well, I mean, this is just an. A literally insane argument. See, to make. even that as a fisherman, and you can tell me if my my Jewish history is accurate on this, Kevin. But it's my understanding that every Jewish male, up until the age of twelve, was fully educated in the Torah and learning it and memorizing it. And at some point, they would stop that education. But even well, as an early Jew, they're being taught and educated. Maybe not in Greek let's rhetoric. Not make, but let's not make it idyllic. Okay. That's like saying every Lutheran memorizes the catechism. But they do. Yeah, that's the intent. They do when they're confirmed, and, Kevin. And pastors try do. really hard to do that. <laughs> but let's let's not. I mean, we okay. do have a, we do have a tendency of of idealizing the past, right? Everybody was walking around the entire Torah memorized. The fifties well, were safer than today, Kevin. They really were a better society. Except than for all the people that died in the fifties. Don't yeah, mention them. Exactly. They're all doing great. <laughs> so we don't want to go off the 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 path on that side either and say, well, sure. everybody was an expert in, in Greek rhetoric. No, they weren't. Yeah. There were a lot of guys like me running around who were just playing dumb as a brick, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just life. I picked up a few but, tricks. Yeah. yeah. But but to say that my presupposition is Peter could not have written a book because it uses Greek rhetoric, right. that doesn't make any sense. Right. There, you, that's you like have saying, to Peter, so many you can't do something because... I label you as not being able to do it. So therefore, if you've done it, you couldn't have done it. Right. What? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. So so be careful of those arguments where we're saying Paul was this, he could not have known this, and because this is in a certain text, therefore he couldn't have written it. That argument is a tautology. That's right. Yeah. That's, that's an argument which yep. the premise is the argument itself. That doesn't make any sense. So let's not assign stupidity to the biblical authors. That's, yeah. that's one major thing. I think it's funny, his comment about Marcion is he's actually using it the opposite. Even right. Marcion right. accepted Even these Marcion. ones, the heretic. And and that, that's why the article is often very inconsistent the way he uses evidence. Yeah. Yep. I think my favorite one is his reference to Jude, that Peter couldn't have written, oh, which book was it? First or Second Peter? Second Peter. Second Peter, because it references Jude. And he just throws it out there. But I, and I bring this up because when, when you're having these discussions with people, this is very often 
really the that's the level of argument that you get. That's it. Right. Well, it no. references that. Therefore, it can't. Therefore, be. It can't and be. you're like, hmm. wh- why is referencing Jude bad? Right. How does that prove anything at all? That's that therefore Peter couldn't have written this because he referenced what's wrong with Jude, what's wrong with Peter, but it's just the statements are just thrown out there. And and who says that at the time of the writing of the New Testament that references necessarily meant literal dependency? Yeah. What if Jude and Peter talked? I don't know. Wait, Jude, Peter, who is one of the closest disciples with Jesus, talked to Jesus' brother? Right. No. And then they both wrote scripture, and they both no. said the same things. That's can't, not possible. No, can't have See, and that's the problem: is, is all these things are developing a situation that precludes the human realities of how people would write, how people would, would work on a project. So, so let's let's just presume this for a second. Let's presume Paul actually believes what he's teaching. Mm-hmm. So then he's sitting down as an apostle to write books to the churches to instruct them in this eternal truth of God in Christ that he is willing to die for. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to tell him that he couldn't have used certain arguments or he couldn't have used certain words or he couldn't have even changed the way he writes between the Ephesians and other books or he had to always write in the same way or he couldn't have written the same (laughs) thing to different churches. You see, and pretty soon you're going, this doesn't even make sense. Well, it's like when so, I'm writing messages to different friends, I speak differently based on the friend that I'm talking to. Yes. Because we're having a different conversation right. about different things. I, so, and and I, I'm a writer. That's that's one of the things I do for a living. I try not to write the exact same article over and over and over. You actually try and write to your audience. Yeah. But at the same time, and this is funny because the argument cuts both ways, right? Yeah. But sometimes you can pick up an article of mine and say, wow, this kind of sounds like Kevin because he writes the same right. kind of thing. Yeah. And so it's funny because when we're analyzing the works of Paul, we'll say, well, this one is so much like Paul that it's obviously someone trying to imitate Paul. <laughs> and then the next one will say, well, this one has such different vocabulary than Paul's other letters. It can't be Paul. So which is it? So poor Paul can't write. <laughs> because if he sounds like him, it's not him. Well, and if it doesn't Kevin, sound like we, him, we, then it's we, definitely not him. But we already established that because Peter was a stupid fisherman. Right. Of course, Paul can't write. Paul can't write. So, so that actually you, works logically, very much internally so. consistent with so the article. So here's the problem: is is what we're really doing is we're finding reasons to dismiss these as being written by the people who actually claim to write them. Yeah. And the question is why? Yeah. Why would I want an epistle that says I, Paul? an apostle of Christ Jesus write this to you. Why would I want to pick that up and say, that's not by Paul, it's by somebody else. Mm -hmm. What's the motivation for that? Because it doesn't matter what anybody wants to say. The reality is this. For thousands of years, the church has read that and believed that Paul wrote it. Mm -hmm. That is the predominant way to read the text. And these are ancient texts that have the best manuscript evidence of any ancient text that we have. Mm-hmm. Any, any, bar none. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else even comes close. We have no copies of Paul's letters that say, I, George, write to you in Colossae. We don't have that. <laughs> they all say Paul. Yeah. And, you know, Ephesians, if you want to talk about the textual critical issue in Ephesians, it's not Pauline authorship. It's actually whether or not it's to the Church of Ephesus. That's the textual critical issue. Hmm. That's the manuscript evidence is there's, there is a manuscript that doesn't say Ephesus. 
<laughs> but it does say Paul. So, so if you're going to question Paul the letter, to a church somewhere or various churches. Ah, and Ephesus was one of them. And in one copy we have, he doesn't name Ephesus, maybe because I went to some other church first. Hmm. Who knows? We don't know. It doesn't matter. See, the point is, is that what they're wanting to pick on is not actually the issue. Yeah. Paul wrote Paul's letters. Get over it. And and let's let's be very honest about this as well. This is an issue of faith. I believe the Bible is the word of God. That's part of my sanctification hmm. that the Spirit teaches me. Now, intellectually, I have spent many hours of my life studying all the arguments. Mm-hmm. And I can say intellectually that you do, not, you do not have to sacrifice your intellect in order to believe the scriptures to be the word of God. There is no, you know, kind of silver bullet that says, see, Paul really didn't write this letter. It doesn't sure. exist. Yeah. <laughs> there are lots of scholars that have spent their life trying to say the Bible can't be the word of God because they do not believe in any supernatural occurrences in our world. Mm-hmm. And so what we're really seeing in all of this critical scholarship is actually the inheritance of a movement that says we don't need God to learn truth. Therefore, any truth we learn, we can get through human intellect. Therefore, there is no such thing as a book that has a divine provenance. Yeah, we don't, we don't book, need a Bible. We don't need a divine book. Yeah. So what we're having is this is just an old book that's no better or worse than any other old book. Mm-hmm. So then that led to this actually happened in scholarship. They said, what if we don't believe the Bible is a word of God? Can we just tear it apart like normal literature? And the result of that were people saying, not only can we, we should, hmm. to make sure that nobody thinks there's something spiritual going on here. Hmm. And that's actually what led to historical criticism. Yeah. Higher criticism. Higher criticism. Okay. Yeah. There, you can call it either way. Yeah. And Not to be confused with textual criticism, which we have mentioned. And we'll talk and about is that actually briefly. a good thing. We don't have a lot of time, but we'll thing. talk about it briefly. That so, might have to be another episode. So historical criticism literally approached the Bible to remove the spiritual aspects of it. Mm-hmm. That was their goal. Yep. So, and like I said earlier, so when a text says that Jesus was God, they'll say... There's no way Christians believed that right away. That would take years to develop, right? We mm-hmm. address that. Yeah, that, the that thing, is the Da Vinci Code right. argument. That's the other one that. is that the church could not have had clergy and bishops and structured leadership right away. I've heard that one recently. Right. So yeah. therefore, anything that preserves that has to be later. Thus, in this article, he says, no one believes the pastoral epistle written by Paul. <laughs> well... See, that's that's what he needed to say in the article is those who believe that it takes time to develop doctrine and structure can't admit that these are written early because they evince a structure, a clergy. Right? A, but So an example of that I want to give real quick within Christianity would be the dating of the book of Revelation. Right. Um, if you are of the premillennial, predispensational rapture variety. So this thousand-year reign of Christ, but before that there's going to be a rapture where all the Christians are taken up and then seven years of tribulation on the earth. That's the quick rundown of the premillennial, predispensational rapture theology. 
you actually require Revelation to be written around 90 AD, I think, so that everything that happens in the book of Revelation is a prophecy of things yet to come. Right. That none of that can have happened. So the temple can't have been destroyed yet because there's going to be another destruction. There's going to be another you know, rebuilding of it, all of that. So within Christianity, that's how it has manifested itself. This idea that because my assumption is that mm-hmm. Revelation is talking about these future events, therefore, in well, spite of any of the textual the other, evidence, it cannot have been written earlier than you know, 90 AD. Since Revelation is crazy, um, <laughs> and the dating thereof is, is kind of difficult, although we, we kind of know when John was on Patmos. So it's not overly difficult, right? But the other issue is, and this is this is what I want to bring up because it, it really is an important one. When you go down the road that I was just describing, where you're going to remove the divine inspiration from Scripture or the divine component mm-hmm. of Scripture, including getting rid of any miracles, right, or prophecy, now you cannot date any of the Gospels before 70 A.D. because, as you just brought up, the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. Yep. So you have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus predicting the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem. Yeah. So what you will find, and this is extremely common. Yeah. I actually know where you're going with this because I've read these articles. Right. Is that they will say, we have to date the gospel after the destruction of the temple because otherwise you have Jesus predicting something that hasn't happened yet. And that's not possible. And they and they will build into that a early church narrative where the church where they'll say the church was so surprised by this development in history, and they and, you know in order to explain how God hadn't failed them, right? They, they had to, to create this in. narrative of Jesus so, predicting it, and then convince themselves that that's but, what really happened. But here's what I want to make sure everybody understands is that. When you read these articles, when you watch these shows, when you hear someone talking about, well, Paul didn't really write this, or the books of the Bible were really written 500 years later than you think, or something like that, Mm -hmm. listen to the presuppositions they're making in order to get there. Yeah. And what you will find is they are not actually building on things that make sense or that are actually reflected in the history of the church. Right. They're making wild presuppositions saying this could not have been like... Peter could not have known Greek rhetoric. Therefore, since there's a Greek rhetoric, Peter couldn't have written it. Mm-hmm. Um, because Second Peter has these characteristics, well, we're saying Peter couldn't have done that. Therefore, it's not written by Peter. So here's what I would do. Go check and see if it's true. Could Peter have learned Greek rhetoric? Well, yeah. <laughs> Was, <laughs> Why not? You know, could Peter have written a book that doesn't refer to the earthly ministry of Jesus? Yeah. Or, or like what you said at the very beginning of the episode, which I've been processing this entire time, and I think I'm, I think that was that's actually one of the critical points is that the very fact that they're questioning whether or not Peter wrote it demonstrates that the fact that Peter wrote it actually matters, right? More than anything else. So the notice what they are attacking actually proves that. That matters. Yeah. It, it matters that Peter wrote it. That's why they're attacking it so much. Because if Peter wrote it, this is actually authoritative. Yeah. And they actually believe that. Mm-hmm. So the these these individuals would believe if in the so this article that we're yeah. discussing here loosely, if Paul actually wrote all those letters, the author believes that those letters would then be authoritative. Mm-hmm. He's actually conceding that part of the argument. Right. 
Um, and so you, you can kind of take the argument in that direction too. It's like, well, I notice you really, really care about whether or not right. he wrote it. Yeah. Why? Why? You know, if, so if you're talking to a friend about this, who's, who's brought this article up as it's a gotcha, here it is. Now I know it's not really the Bible. That's a good conversation to have with mm-hmm. your friend of, well, why does that matter? Right. Why does it matter to you that Paul didn't write these epistles? Why do you think that's important? Or that we have any that he did write. Yeah. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. does that matter? Yep. And the other thing to, to simply, for, for those listeners who, who um, continue to, to wrestle with these issues, um, how would I say this the best? I think when I wrestle with these issues, and I have, I've thought through literally every book of the Bible in some way, shape, or form in these in these contexts mm-hmm. because I've studied them, and and when you do, it it really is important to ask, what do these books teach us about God's action to save you in Christ? Mm-hmm. And to the author's credit of this article, he even says at the end of the article. He actually says, I don't care if they're written by Peter or Paul. They do teach us about Christ, <laughs> and therefore they're inspired. Which, which, which really is kind jumped. of bizarre. It, it is, and it, that's why this article... I mean, that's why I picked this one, because I'm like, yeah. he's kind of saying a thing that we sort of say. Right. It's kind of good. And yet he's so far away from what we would actually believe, teach, and confess. How can he get to that end conclusion from there? Because... <laughs> Because this is how the Spirit works. He works through the Word to draw us to Christ. Mm. And all I can do, and, and, and this is just, a, it's just kind of a matter of faith and trust, I guess, at some point, is that for all the people waving their arms and jumping up and down and saying, scholarship has proven this and that and the other thing, look at the Lutheran scholars Look at the, the scholars who have dedicated their lives to studying this. Mm-hmm. They're not stupid. And they're not writing articles saying, well, intellectually, I have to admit this, but I don't care. I want the Bible written by God. They're not <laughs> doing that. No, these, are, these people are intellectually looking at the same evidence everybody else is, mm-hmm. and they have no problem with saying, and the evidence points us to Paul writing these letters, mm-hmm. and Peter writing these letters, and John writing the Gospel of John, and Matthew writing... I mean, the evidence is overwhelming from the historical point of view, from the yeah. traditional point of view that the people that wrote your Bible are the people that says wrote your Bible, yep. right? You can with confidence open your Bible to the Gospel of John and know that John, the son of Zebedee, the apostle, wrote that book. Mm-hmm. You can open it to any of Paul's letters from Roman to Philemon, and you can with confidence read that book written by Paul the apostle. You can open your Bible and you can look at it and who they said wrote the book. You can trust that the church has said that from the very beginning when the people received the books who would have known if this was a book written by Paul or not. Yeah. The entire church has said, this is Pauline. This is Petrine. This is Johannine. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and that's what, that's how we read them. Yeah. We, we do not say, oh, because in the 1700s and 1800s we started throwing out God, therefore we've, we've learned more. No, 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 no. We read the books as we have received them from the church, trusting that this is God's word to us, and the effect of that word is to teach us what God has done in Christ. Trust it. Okay, that's my final question for you then, because we, 
I'm still struggling with the, it seems like we've answered the, here's why this is canon. Mm-hmm. How do we know it's God's word? What's the answer to that question? The answer to that question is, in, and I go with Luther on this one, does it proclaim Christ? Hmm. Does it proclaim Christ crucified, justification by grace through faith, forgiveness of our sins? That's all we know of God is Christ. That, that is his revelation to us of who he is. And the amazing thing about the scriptures, and, and we're including the Old Testament now in this. Yeah, all 66 books. Is that when Christ had the opportunity to explain to his followers who he was, he said, look, the entire Old Testament, Moses, prophets, writings, mm-hmm. they all proclaim my death and resurrection as the Christ. Believe them. We're, we're actually going with Christ's words. Yeah. And so he says the entire Old Testament <laughs> talks about me. And he did have the same books we do, by the way. Yeah. Okay. There's some arguments about that, but we can, that's, that's not yeah. a big deal. Okay. So he's talking about our Old Testament and saying they're all about me. So then all the guys that wrote the New Testament were the guys who learned from him how to read the Old Testament. Yeah. <laughs> and, and as they read the Old Testament and remembered back to Jesus' teachings, they all taught the same thing about it. They all taught that it was God in Christ saving the world from sin, right? Through yeah. his death and resurrection, it's given to us by grace. There are sacraments. There's there's something called baptism mm-hmm. that, that forgives sins. There's something called the Lord's Supper that is bread and wine and body and blood. There There is Holy Spirit, right? There's Trinity. Mm-hmm. There's grace. There's faith. All these things, Paul writes, Peter writes, John writes, and they continue to agree with Jesus that the Old Testament taught all this too. Yep. So so when you read this, ask if it's God's word. What does it teach you? Who is it speaking? These are guys that Jesus told us to teach us, and they're all teaching us the same thing, and yeah. it's all about Christ. Now, there are lots of books we have that claim to be written by people that the church has never accepted, <laughs> Yeah, and when you read them, they don't teach the same thing. Yeah, That's why we don't accept them. Crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. Yeah. Okay, so, so this is why, and and I I often do this when you when you open your Bible, the cover page says "holy" above the word Bible, mm. and and that's not just a throwaway thing. Bible is simply the Greek word for book. Yeah, right. Yep. But this isn't just a book. This is a holy book. Not that mine glows. <laughs> Not that it's a magic charm. Mine actually does, but that's because yeah, it's that's on my phone. phone. <laughs> but see, we're not saying it's holy because the physical pages are holy. Yeah. We're saying that when you read this, this is the Word of God. That's what the church has taught from the get-go. That's what we believe. And when you are talking with your friends, when when these topics come up, the whole point that we want to get you to in this is... Use that as an opportunity to confess who Christ is, to tell your friends, because that, that's why this matters. That's why this whole topic is important to us. And ultimately, Christ crucified is the crucial conversation. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks.